Welcome nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up Rockabilly track. Now building new Jedi Academy. Preparing updates on movies, TV, wrestling and more. ANS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's show, we're going to be breaking down Chapter 6 of the Book of Boba Fett. From the desert comes a stranger. And of course, we're talking about all the happenings in wrestling, plus what went down at Royal Rumble. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some Amazing Nerd Show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. So up first, Dakota Johnson to play Madam Web in a Sony Spider-Man spin-off film. So about a month or so back, it was reported that Sony was interested in you know, doing a project with Madam Web, which after all, Sony wants to continue tapping into the well of success they have had with their you know, Spider-Man films. Well, now Deadline is reporting that Dakota Johnson is in talks to take on this role. Johnson, best known for her roles like Fifty Shades of Grey and Suspiria, could possibly be the Spider-Verse's first live-action female character, though Deadline in their report brought up an interesting point that this could just be merely a side character and not the main star of whatever female-led Spider-Man film Sony is attempting to make. Because quite frankly, it seems like it would make more sense for a character like Spider-Woman or even Spider-Gwen to be more of your first female Spidey. But, you know, I digress. Yeah, I mean, Madam Web is definitely a bizarre choice of a character to get their own solo film um if that is indeed what this is uh she's not an action-based character i mean she's an old lady who's like a clairvoyant and a pretty powerful psychic in this weird cybernetic web chair that's basically okay. life support for her <laughs> um she has in the past like played mentor to different like spider women um, there's Maddie and then uh, Julia Carpenter. Uh, Julia is actually the second Spider-Woman, uh, and she um, inherits Webb's powers uh, when she dies. So she becomes the second Madam Webb. So maybe she's playing that version of the character. Um, but I feel like, you know, this is probably a, like actually a Spider-Woman project, if anything. Uh, because like you said, like, why wouldn't you choose to make a film about the more popular and interesting character? Unless, yeah. <laughs> unless like somehow Marvel actually has the rights to the Jessica Drew character. Because technically Jessica Drew was more of an Avengers character than a Spider-Man character. She didn't really have ties at all to Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. So maybe legally somehow those rights worked out where, you know, Marvel can make a Jessica, a Jessica Drew film. But I don't know. I mean, I'm still confused by the whole, like, you know, Incredible Hulk fiasco. So <laughs> another thing is that, like, I feel maybe they could be bringing up Madam Web in, like, the next Spider-Verse film, the next Into the Spider-Verse film, I should say. And that's why they might want to play off of it. Maybe because I could totally see that type of character showing up in those Miles films, the animated ones. I just don't see a film like based on that character, like a live mm -hmm. action film, unless they do the Julia Carpenter version of the character who's much younger and I believe retains some of her like Spider-Woman abilities when she takes on the powers. 
um, but then why wouldn't you just do a Spider-Woman film? You know? I don't know. <laughs> so, I mean, it's Sony, so who the fuck knows? I mean, they, a while back, wanted to do an Aunt May solo film. So this is the brain trust that we're dealing with. My thoughts exactly. So up next, Masters of the Universe live action movie picked up by Netflix. Looks like He-Man is not only going to be an animated project on Netflix, but now the reported live action film has made its way to the streaming service as well. With the Knee Brothers set to direct and Kyle Allen from West Side Story casted as He-Man, Masters of the Universe looks to make an even bigger splash in live action glory. It seems like this project has been in development hell for a little while now, but being picked up by Netflix should get the ball rolling towards a future release. However, no future details on when that will be has come out just yet. Yeah, it's just insane to me that it's taken this long to get another He-Man film. Um, the Dolph Lundgren movie was an absolute abomination, <laughs> that being said. <laughs> so maybe that just left such a bad taste in like movie executives' mouths that they wanted nothing to do with the property. But I mean, it has such a cult following. Like, I was a huge fan of the toy line in the 80s. I mean, I'm still collecting them now. I mean, even though it's been shit on, I've been a fan of um, Masters of the Universe Revelations on Netflix. I mean, Netflix is really doubling down on He-Man. They, I believe yeah. they have two He-Man cartoons right now running back to back and now a film. So I think if it's done right, it's just a fun universe to explore with a great cast of characters. Um, it's just ripe for a feature film. So and like I said, I, I can't believe it's taken this long. Oh, once again, that Dolph Lundgren film was really shitty, so <laughs> maybe maybe that has something to do with it. I They had to have been past that by now. Like I, someone, I'm sure. I'm sure. But I just <laughs> it's just weird because I mean, right now IP is king, and I mean, mm -hmm. and you would think a property like He Man that has such a loyal built-in fan base would just be perfect to like start a cinematic universe with. So lastly, we got some quick horror film notes. It looks like Insidious 5 is ready to start filming. So Patrick Wilson, during a press junket for his new film, Moonfall, spoke with Screen Rant about how Insidious 5 is almost ready to shoot, claiming that they're already looking at locations and that shooting could possibly even begin in spring of this year. With the last few films not being the greatest in my opinion, I am still interested in seeing what Patrick Wilson may do in his directorial debut, as this franchise could definitely use you know, some fresh hands at the helm. No, I agree 100%. I mean, Patrick Wilson's an incredibly talented actor, um, so hopefully he ends up being an incredibly talented director. Uh, I love the concept of Insidious, but like you said, I mean, the last couple films have definitely sucked. Um, but the first two were fantastic. So hopefully they're able to like recapture what originally made the series great. I mean, Patrick Wilson's been in enough horror movies. Something's got to have rubbed off on him by now. No, I definitely feel like he's going to do a great job. And I mean, I have nothing to base that opinion off of. But <laughs> honestly, I was surprised he hasn't directed in the past. For some reason, I felt like he had a couple films underneath his belt. But I, I guess not. Um, but maybe I just remember hearing this story like a year ago or so. And I don't know. He'd make a great director, though, right? Is He's it got just that me? face, you know? He, he looks like a director. <laughs> no, I could see him sitting in the director's chair, uh -huh. you know, with like a beret on, like an old-timey, you know, director, you know, you know, from like the 20s for some reason. I have no idea why. <laughs> I don't even think that makes sense, but, you know, I, I, I don't think directors even wore berets 
you know, back then, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> they, do, they do in my mind. But that's not the only horror film sequel in the works. It seems Paramount and Spyglass Entertainment are setting up a sequel to this year's Scream, bringing back directors Matt Bettinelli, Alpin, and Tyler Gillette. After the first of the new sequel's success, having earned them over 100 million globally and getting rave reviews, it looks like principal photography could begin as soon as this summer. Clearly the studio is looking to capitalize and continue the adventure of our surviving cast. And Christian, I have no idea who that would be because I haven't seen the fucking film yet. <laughs> Me neither. Because <laughs> life's been crazy right now, unfortunately. Um, so, But I do plan on seeing it sooner than later, hopefully. This sounds like exciting news, but who knows after I see it, I might be like, oh, God damn it. I don't want these guys directing the film again. Uh, so, uh, But I'm not surprised the film was ultra successful in the box office. So, of course, they're going to try to cash all their chips in now. Um, and why not? All right, so Christian, we got a full trailer for the Halo series coming to Paramount Plus. Humans surrender to the Covenant. Cortana, I'm gonna need you now. Find the Halo, win the war. Uh, what were your thoughts, man? Because you know me, I don't know shit about Halo, so I really can't give you an opinion either way. It looked pretty cool. Holy shit, did Paramount throw some money at this project. I was originally impressed by the, you know, UNSC elements they showed off in the first trailer, but getting to see Master Chief go up against Covenants and just how good all the aliens in this show seem to look overall, I mean, has me extremely excited for what this show could possibly be. In this trailer, we're introduced to more than, you know, our favorite alien enemies, but to what seems like stand-ins for Master Chief's original team of Spartan 2s known as Blue Team, this time comprised around characters of Riz 028, Vanek 134, and Kai 125. With armor that's kind of resembling Master Chiefs and kind of what we expect from, you know, Halo Infinite and that kind of ground, but it's definitely customized to each character. Plus, it was pretty cool to see, you know, game accurate weapons being wielded by each of these Spartans. Another prominent feature of this, you know, trailer was um, the planet that they were on which could possibly be a deep cut from the books as Master Chief in this trailer is, you know, discovering some Forerunner artifacts that could potentially lead to them discovering the Halo Ring. Now, in the books, this was an artifact from a planet called Sigma Octanus IV, which led to an actual massive battle. So perhaps this story is where the show is kind of going, but it's also just cool to see them using, you know, deep cut material from the books that haven't really been explored fully in the games. To be honest, I mean, the only thing that fell out of place other than, you know, someone else voicing Master Chief as how Cortana looks in this series, you know, Master Chief's AI counterpart. They seem to go for a more human look this time around rather than giving it kind of like a CGI computer effect. And I'm guessing that might be, you know, some budget restrictions or something there because it just looks like, you know, an actor in front of either a green screen or just an actor that's there being, you know, faded out a little bit. And it kind of felt cheap in comparison to everything else around that character. Though then again, when you look at, you know, the Covenant, they look spot on and, you know, absolutely great effects are being used there to bring these aliens to life. So I can imagine that maybe perhaps Cortana's design was just brought down, but I definitely would prefer a CG version of this character. I don't know, Christian. I mean, they had me when they started playing Phil Collins, honestly. So I think I'm sold on this. 
like like I said, I don't know shit about the video games, but I mean the trailer looked pretty damn good to me. So so like Master Chief, does he not have free will in the games, and he, like he gains it and he goes rogue? Because that's what it seems like is happening in the trailer here. No, traditionally I feel like it's more like he's been manipulated. I mean he's been trained his entire life. You know he's indoctrinated as a child. But I don't think he ever loses his free will. I think he's just so brainwashed at that point. Okay. Because there's that moment in the trailer where he touches something and then he talks about how he feels different now. And then Hmm. we see like he's obviously acting different and now like they don't trust him anymore. So that's what led me to believe that was happening. Um, But I mean, who knows? I mean, it's a trailer, so it could definitely be misleading. (laughs) Would it bother you if they didn't stay true to the video game storyline, though? Like if they did add something like that? Well, since they came out ahead of time and said, hey, we're not doing the traditional Halo storyline. Okay. I think I'm allowed. I'm 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 allowing a little bit more forgiveness there. I'm allowing them to do whatever they want. Hey, I, because they're being clear. About I it. give them credit for being upfront. You know. Mm-hmm. So and they probably figure. You know, why not put out this fire now? You know, before you know a bunch exactly. of crazy fucking fans <laughs> go ape shit online about it. So, um, you know. So I mean, kudos to them. Now let's just hope it's good. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the Covenant looked fantastic, so yeah, I'm excited. I, I thought it looked amazing. And it might actually justify me, like, you know, paying for a subscription to Paramount Plus. Because I, <laughs> I forget I have it half the time. Uh, so The Halo TV series will be coming out on March 24th for Paramount Plus. Well, Christian, holy shit. It's that time again. Let's break down Chapter 6 of the Book of Boba Fett. Warning, spoiler alert. Major spoilers for the Book of Boba Fett series ahead. You have been warned. Boba Fett is a cold-blooded killer who worked for the Empire. You tell your spice runners Tatooine's closed for business. This planet's seen enough violence. So to start, I guess I was wrong in saying last week we were only bringing you one episode of The Mandalorian because here comes a pivotal episode of Book of Boba setting up season three of The Mandalorian featuring very little Boba at all. Shut up, Christian. Uh, This was literally, (laughs) I think, one of the best hours of Star Wars I've seen my entire life. Uh, David Filoni gave us an all-you-can-eat buffet of Star Wars goodness. And honestly, I think I'm still buzzing from it. I've watched it twice so far, and probably when I'm done you know, recording this episode, I'm going to watch it again. So uh, I'll take it, man. I, I, no complaints for me this week. I mean, yeah, as a fan, I did love every moment of this episode. I'm just saying we're not getting a lot of boba in this book of boba. I guess, but I'll, <laughs> I'll deal with it. I mean, <laughs> ask me about it after the you know season finale. So... And like, I feel like what they're kind of establishing here is that all these stories, at least in the Mandoverse, if you will now, are going to all kind of intertwine, you know, because I could see like some of Boba's story kind of leaking over to like season three of Mandalorian even. So I wouldn't be surprised Mm. if we get like a full episode of like, you know, Boba Fett and what he's doing, you know, in the Mandalorian. So, um, but only time will tell. 
Well, this week's chapter starts off with the Mos Pelgo region of Tatooine, where the returning Cobb Vanth from Mando Season 2 interrupts a spice trade between the Pikes. While giving them the opportunity to leave Mos Pelgo, the four Pikes attempt to shoot it out with Vanth. And well, it really doesn't go in their favor as only one Pike seems to survive as he was the one that hesitated during the gunfight. Man, I mean, a lot of this episode feels like a straight Western, uh, which I loved. It was fantastic seeing Cobb again. I loved him. Timothy Oliphant, uh, he's just so great in the role. Honestly, I didn't even think about that. You know, of course, you know, Cobb would have a lot to say about what the Pike Syndicate is trying to do, you know, in the region. So, of course, it makes perfect sense, you know, to bring him into the story. He definitely looks less goofy without the uh, boba armor on him. <laughs> That's true. Giving this quote unquote, you know, smart one a new deal, Vanth tells him that he can either leave the spice there and live or die. But the Pike does warn him that the amount of spice is worth more than his village. Nonetheless, Cobb sends him on his way, and instead of keeping the valuable resource, he dumps it into the sands of Tatooine. Say no to drugs, kids. <laughs> Has it been established that the spice is in, like, the death sticks that they talk about in the prequels? I I feel like I feel like they said something during Solo, right? Like they had to have, because they've really like never shown anyone like using spice or anything like that, right? Because that's what mm. it is, right? It's pretty much like a drug, like a space drug. It's a drug plus it's a fuel. You know, it's they're completely ripping off Dune. So. <laughs> Next, we get Din Djarin making his way to his little green friend Grogu on an undisclosed planet or moon. Tracing a signal in his new N1 fighter, he finds R2-D2 and follows him to hopefully Skywalker. However, R2 takes Din Djarin to the site of a structure being worked on by these ant-like droids. R2, after communicating with one of them, promptly shuts down, not taking Mando any further to his dismay, which only leaves Din Djarin the option to rest on a bench put together by these new droids. So I absolutely popped when they gave us R2-D2 just like front and center right away uh, when he landed on the planet. Mm -hmm. And I should have known like this was just an omen of more like massive cameos to come. Meanwhile, somewhere else in this area, we find Grogu meditating with his new master, Luke Skywalker, though this baby seems a little distracted by the potential food hopping around him. And then David Filoni was like, oh, by the way, here's Luke Skywalker and fucking Grogu. Like, I thought maybe we get, like, a brief scene after, like, last week's episode or even, like, a tease, like, of, you know, Luke and Grogu. Because we talked about it last week that we thought this storyline, you know, with the Mandalorian visiting Grogu would probably play out in season three of The Mandalorian. But no, this was, like, the most young Luke we've gotten since Return of the Jedi, and it was fucking glorious. Uh, once again, I felt like an eight-year-old, you know, watching this, <laughs> just like in the season two finale of The Mandalorian, uh, just straight chills. Uh, and I mean, the guy who they hired from YouTube to do the deep fake technology this time out did a pretty amazing job. I was definitely not ready for any of this. Yeah, this whole episode made me look like a fool from last week, just talking about how there's no way it's going to happen. We're not going to show any of this. But yeah, I agree. Everything we got this episode has been amazing. And the CGI work that they did for yes. this face. Unbelievable. There's only like a couple moments where it yeah. feels wonky. Everything else just it just looks like him. Like he's just there. They just brought the time machine. I mean, in. Yeah, no, it's pretty crazy what they can do nowadays. 
uh, especially when they take mm -hmm. their time and do it right. Luke, having caught Grogu using the Force to grab a snack, decides to give the little guy a mild demonstration of the power of the Force by lifting every single frog in the area. So yeah, I mean, this was definitely Luke flexing, showing Grogu what he might potentially be able to do if he becomes a Jedi, and like just what he's capable of. Deciding to change things up a bit, Grogu follows Luke and gets a helping hand in Luke using the Force to help keep Grogu at his pace since he is a much taller and, you know, agile human being compared to Grogu's tiny little puppet frame. Christian, you're underselling this. This was adorable. Here Luke speaks of Yoda and just how much he's, of course, you know, reminded of him by Grogu. Luke recites the classic line, you know, size matters not, as he describes his former master's way of speaking in riddles and being, you know, this huge presence in the Force. Turning his attention back to Grogu, Luke asks him, you know, what he remembers of his home. And in a quick moment, Luke helps Grogu remember more of his past by seemingly unlocking some of his repressed memory, in which we get a quick glimpse of Jedi Masters defending the young Grogu during Order 66 of Episode 3. But as the Masters fell to the clone's assault, before they could ever reach Grogu, he awakens next to a meditating Luke, who then promises to teach Grogu how to defend himself from the dangers of their galaxy. Man, it was just heartwarming hearing Luke talk about Yoda. Uh, and then, like, holy shit, we get a vision of, like, Order 66 from Grogu's perspective. Uh, and now, like, I totally want a whole, like, flashback episode with, like, you know, Grogu's rescue. Uh, I just, I don't know. I just wasn't prepared for this, man. <laughs> There's just so much happening, like, in the first, like, 20 minutes of this episode. Uh, just, I mean, just fantastic. Honestly, like, during the flashback, I thought we might actually get an Anakin appearance. At this point, I wouldn't put it past them. Uh, who do you think saved Grogu? It would make sense if they wanted to make it Obi-Wan and then you can play that into his mm. series. But at the same time, they could introduce someone that we've never seen before on live action or they could have one of the other masters that definitely fell during that be the ones to save. Because we don't know how he ends up in Imperial hands That's at true. all. That's true. I mean, they're keeping it a mystery on purpose mm -hmm. because I feel like they're they're eventually going to tell that story. Um, and, you know, who knows when we're going to get it? It could be anywhere, honestly. Especially the way this series has been intertwining different story threads. I mean, next episode could start with 10 minutes of just Grogu jumping around as, you know, Hayden Christensen swinging at him I during Order 66. I wouldn't put it past them, honestly. <laughs> but I could also see if it is someone like Obi-Wan, I could see that story being played out in the Obi-Wan series also. Din Djarin then wakes to find Ahsoka of all people standing waiting for him, apparently as a way to prevent to Jaren from you know, disturbing Grogu's training, she had R2 bring Mando to her instead at the site that would eventually become Luke's you know school for the Jedi. In this scene, while Ahsoka does escort you know, Din Djarin to where Grogu and Luke are, she questions if Din Djarin is doing this for Grogu or himself. Din Djarin wants to give Grogu you know, the armor of a Mandalorian foundling, but seems to understand that he may have to let you know, go of Grogu if the little guy is to succeed in his journey of becoming a Jedi. Even without seeing Pedro Pascal's face, you can feel how much he yearns to be at Grogu's side in this scene, but still he hands over the armor to Ahsoka so that she may deliver it and leaves Grogu to his training. And as he leaves, Grogu and Luke watch as the N1 flies away. Yeah, I thought this was a really touching scene. It was great to see Ahsoka, and I thought this was the perfect use of the character. Um, I just love seeing Mando making the difficult choice and, you know, 
being the good father and sacrificing for what's best for Grogu. I was kind of hoping that he would have ignited the dark saber in front of Ahsoka, and they would have like you know had maybe just a, a two second moment oh, about the I dark feel like saber. That's coming but... though, right? You know, I mean, because we uh -huh. talked about last you know episode that it'd be great to see like either Luke or Ahsoka actually train you know Mando and how to use the dark mm -hmm. saber, especially Ahsoka. You figure that she's got to have some working knowledge of it since she's so close to Sabine. So uh, who knows? Who knows when that's going to happen, Christian? <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> that's the world we live in now. Grogu's training doesn't end there, though. No, we get a full moment of Luke running with Grogu on his back to show the little guy how the Force can aid him in his traversal skills. Luke begins training Grogu on how to channel the Force in a way to balance himself. As Grogu practices you know, balancing on beams, Luke ignites his blade and practices in front of Grogu to the little guy's amazement. Once again, this is Filoni just pulling at my heartstrings, making me feel like I'm fucking eight again. <laughs> just a beautiful like training callback to Empire Man. I loved every second of this. To further test out Grogu's reflexes, Luke deploys a training remote as most notably seen in A New Hope, when Luke was you know, first training with a lightsaber. Grogu begins using the force to aid his jumps, mirroring the actions of Yoda when he would jump around in the prequels. Though it was pretty cool to see kind of like the blend between the puppeteering and the CG effects for Grogu's movement. Yeah, I mean, Grogu seems like a quick learner, right? Um, I'm guessing when Luke went into his mind and helped him remember his past, it also helped him tap into like his past training, which I'm assuming he had plenty of, or at least started since he was at the Jedi temple, right? If anything, I'd be surprised if he didn't actually meet Yoda since Yoda did work with the younglings. I would imagine, and I was kind of assuming that's why Luke started that whole conversation by talking about Yoda, to see if he could kind of like jar any memories in Grogu. I mean, could we find out that this is, you know, Yoda's kid in the High Republic? Was he, you know, hiding some secrets? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I'll be honest. I don't know shit about the High Republic, and I should. Uh, you know, my daughter actually has a few of the books, but we just haven't gotten to them yet. For the first time ever, we see Ahsoka and Luke share a scene. Coming up on the scene, seeing Grogu hard at work with Luke, Ahsoka states that she is impressed by the speed of Grogu's learning. But Luke claims it's less of his teaching and more of getting Grogu to actually remember what he's already learned. Ahsoka and Luke discuss the bond Mando and Grogu share, and she passes on the armor to Luke. Luke, not only looking concerned by Mando's gift, kind of states that he's you know concerned if Grogu's heart is in it, and questions Ahsoka on what he should do moving forward. Ahsoka, though, simply states he should trust his instincts before she herself actually leaves. I love seeing the relationship between Ahsoka and Luke, and I'm hoping that we get more of this, uh, you know, with her kind of playing the mentor role, you know, for him. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, she could really also help him get some unanswered questions about, you know, dear old dad. And at the same time, like, also help him continue his progression as a Jedi, especially since she's way more experienced than him at this point and you know has actually gone through like you know proper training at the same time she has such an interesting perspective not only did i mean was she trained by anakin but she went through all uh -huh. that shit with the dread order so it's just interesting to see what her perspective of what he's been taught from obi-wan and stuff like that and what little knowledge he has and how she'll like possibly change his ideas no that's a really good point 
uh, and we can get more into that later on in this episode, actually. We finally return to what was once Jabba's palace as Mando makes his approach to land in the hangar. Upon entering, Mando finds Fennec explaining the details of the situation they are all currently in. Boba listens on as Fennec goes over their new strengths, thanks to Din Djarin and Kersantan being a part of their team along with the mods. Though she is quick to note that they are still in need of foot soldiers if they are to win this upcoming war. Din Djarin, though, states he may have some friends that can help. Hey, look, it's Boba! <laughs> it's it's know, nice right? of him to make a cameo in his own series. <laughs> <laughs> like i said though i'm good with it that. works in a way where it kind of is like it's the it's a different chapter not every chapter has to have yes. boba if i look at it that yes. way in a book not every chapter has the main character in it mm -hmm. so i'm okay with it as long as it pays off in the long run you know um and i'm guessing this is not going to be like one season and you're done his story is not going to be done you know in this season i, I you know if you know, we don't get another season of the show. I'm guessing his story is going to probably play out throughout all the other, you know, Star Wars series that's happening around, you know, the Mandalorian. For about two seconds, I was actually worried here that Mando was about to hire some Jawas as foot soldiers, but instead he simply flies over their sand crawler and lands in Mos Pelgo. Well, God damn it, Christian. Now I want to see Mando with an army of Jawas. <laughs> <laughs> Waging war against the pikes. Oh my god. As soon as I saw it, like he flew over them, I was like, oh my god, is he gonna park right next to them and ask the Jawas for help? <laughs> They're it would make sense. Little bastards. The last episode. I mean, I, hey uh -huh. man, don't fucking underestimate a Jawa. <laughs> they get shit done. I mean, if the Ewoks can take down the Empire, I mean, don't don't think the Jawas can't take down the Pikes. You know what? I do feel like the Jawas are more dangerous than the Ewoks, so I, I give you. You're that. obviously not paying attention to Yoda's teachings, man. <laughs> Size matters not. That's right. We meet up with Cobb Vance, newest deputy, who is clearly in over his head as he tries to enforce some parking laws on Mando. Vance, stepping in before anything goes down, heads to the bar with Din Djarin. Here, Din Djarin makes his pitch for having, you know, the people of Freetown, as they're calling it, work with Boba Fett in helping, you know, fight this war with the Pikes. But even the bartender overhearing this conversation is against Mando trying to recruit them. However, Vance still claims that he will talk it over with his people. I mean, like I said in the beginning of this episode, I don't know why I didn't expect to see, you know, Cobb come into play in this series. I mean, it just makes perfect sense if you think about his story and him trying to protect his people in Tatooine. Uh, of course, he's going to have a problem with the Pikes, you know, showing up and trying to take over, you know, the entire planet. But you're not alone. I, I didn't think anything about Vanth in this series at all. <laughs> As Mando leaves, Vanth has the bartender get the word out that he wants to meet with everyone capable of fighting, claiming while it may seem like they have no stake in this, they may have to join up after all due to some info he wants to share with them. Vanth then looks out into the distance to see a black figure approaching with an aura strong enough to worry about as Vanth immediately starts sending people inside as this figure draws closer. The new deputy even comes out to see what's going on, but Vanth tells him not to worry. This new figure in a black cloak and hat keeps his face mostly concealed as he speaks for the Pikes, claiming whatever Boba's paying them, the Pikes can double it. The boisterous deputy speaks for Vanth, claiming he's not for sale, but Vanth probes the identity of the mysterious fellow further, only for the face to reveal that it is none other than the original Clone Wars character, Cad Bane. Christian, when I saw the silhouette across the desert, I lost my fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we speculated earlier on in the season that we might see, like, Cad show up. 
God damn, I, once again, I was not ready for this. Especially with all they gave us this episode, to just like, you know, throw in the first live action appearance of Cad Bane. I don't know, man. <laughs> like, if I didn't know any better, like, you would think this was going to be, like, the last Star Wars anything ever. <laughs> like, they're just dropping their full load here. I'm like, okay, uh-huh. <laughs> we're out. Top that. Uh, but, like, once again, this is straight fucking cowboy shit. Uh, Cat looks fucking menacing as all hell. I remember when the character was first introduced, like... I thought he was a little too on the nose with the whole, like, Western motif and the hat Mm -hmm. and everything. Uh, But over the years, I've really learned to love the character. He's just such a badass. The fact that he's got some, like, tube in his throat to prevent Jedis from choking him. I mean, that's all you really need to know about the character. (laughs) (laughs) I just can't imagine the amount of people that, like, dropped the show because they thought the first two episodes were too slow. And, like, how it is right now with how many things that are coming out. I'm sure. I'm sure the hype on the internet has like brought a lot of people back at this point. And, And there's probably a whole lot of people binging to get up to speed and to, you know, get to this episode. Cad Bane continues claiming Boba is a cold-blooded killer who worked for the Empire. However, Vance stands his ground by telling Bane Tatooine is closed for business. I mean, he's he's not wrong about Boba, uh, and you could just hear, like, the hatred in his voice mm. when he says his name. <laughs> so I can't wait to see, like, the first, like, confrontation between these two, you know, during the series. Oh, I still think we're going to get a live action like remake of whatever they tried to animate back in the day. I don't know, though, because they already show that Cat has the plate in his head and Boba already has the dent in his helmet. Well, no, so... I think it'll be a flashback. I feel like they will oh. do a actual like recreation of it. I mean, I wouldn't be mad at that. <laughs> <laughs> Cad, after telling Vanth he should have never given up his armor, unveils his holstered blaster, and the two stare each other down as the deputy also prepares for the gunfight. However, Cad Bane is quicker at the draw than either of the most Pelgos law enforcement as he shoots Vanth once and then unloads the rest into the new deputy. Cad would then walk off after claiming Tatooine belongs to the syndicate and warns everything will be fine as long as the spice trade is left alone. Yeah, I mean, Cad being with the Pikes is big trouble for Boba and gang uh man he just cuts them both down in Mm. a blink of an eye (laughs) and i just thought about this another great confrontation we're gonna see is between cad and uh finnick oh yeah we know they have a history together we saw it kind of play out in the first season of uh bad batch i mean we all know this is leading to omega at some point meeting up with boba (laughs) here's to hoping i would just Uh. be surprised if they pay that off you know, before the animated series does. I mean, it could happen later. It could be like a season three thing, you know? <laughs> I just hope she's like this hardened, like, bloodthirsty bounty hunter. <laughs> I mean, rocking the fucking Bad Batch gear and everything. That would be amazing. She could be both. She could have her playful spirit while also being Fuck a total that. badass. <laughs> she wants blood and plenty of it, Christian. She's got Rucker's crazy eye. Uh-huh. <laughs> but anyway, 
what a great introduction to Cad Bane for anyone who hasn't like seen anything from Clone Wars or the Bad Batch. Like if you've only ever watched the live action stuff, this is a great introduction to this character. No, absolutely. I feel like this series and, you know, you know, the fact that we got Ahsoka in uh, Mando season two is just going to be bringing a lot of new fans to, you know, Clone Wars. And as long as they get through that first season, they won't be disappointed. <laughs> and I mean, uh, also Rebels. I mean, a lot of fans should be mm-hmm. revisiting or visiting Rebels for the first time. There's a lot of people out there who have a lot of catching up to do. Yes. Meanwhile, two pikes walk into Madame Garza's casino carrying a mysterious container. Garza attempts to roll out the welcome wagon as she did for Boba, sending you know two of her servants to offer cleaning of their helmets. But the two pikes, after ordering their drinks, refuse their offer and immediately head out, though the droid originally serving them is quick to point out that they left their container, and just like that, Garza Flip's casino is turned to ash as a bomb detonates from the container. Yep, the gang war is definitely on. This is like something straight out of, like, The Untouchables. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. All the while, at the finished site of Luke's first school, Grogu is shown the armor Mando brought for him. But instead of just giving it to him, Luke has Grogu make a choice, as he next unveils the lightsaber of Yoda, claiming Grogu must choose between the armor and returning to the Mandalorian, or choosing the lightsaber and continuing his training. However, he would be giving up his life with Mando in the process. And as this episode comes to a close, we see Grogu struggling to make this decision. I just can't believe they just like threw back to like Luke and Grogu again. Like, Uh oh, by the way, (laughs) here's what these guys are up to right now. Now with this scene, I wanted to go back to what you were saying about Ahsoka giving Luke guidance with her unique perspective, you know, on the Jedi teachings. Because like, I was so surprised to see Luke trying to hold so true to the whole like Jedi way of forsaking attachment. Um, Because you would think that Luke, uh, out of everyone, would Mm -hmm. see that as, like, their biggest weakness. Because I think, like, what helps Luke prevail against the Empire is actually, like, his bond that he has with his friends. Anakin's attachment to Luke is what helps him turn on Palpatine, you know, and help, you know, bring down the Empire. (laughs) That's a great point. I was a little disappointed to hear Luke like regurgitate and preach the same bullshit that the Jedi Council was, um, you know, all those years, which eventually pushed away Anakin and Ahsoka, uh, because I thought he would have evolved the Jedi way past that nonsense. But with that being said, I'm happy he's at least giving Grogu a choice, because I absolutely don't see Mace Windu giving like a Padawan a choice in any matter. No, he he'd probably, you know, call you a motherfucker and tell you to leave. <laughs> but <laughs> but I also I, there were points where I was like this is borderline getting to like join the join the Jedi Grogu. We have cookies with the way he was just running around and trying to show off lightsabers and like do all the cool tricks in front of him. I was like, you motherfucker, so, you trying to seduce him with the light side of the force. So do you do you think that's why Luke did that little like lightsaber demonstration? Why Absolutely. Grogu was balancing on the log? Absolutely. What a dick. Exactly. <laughs> And then at the end, he's like, here, you can have a lightsaber of your own yeah. if you join the Jedi. It's, I was like, oh, it's the same color as mine and everything. Exactly. <laughs> so do you think we're going to actually get Grogu's decision next episode? Or do you, they wait for season three of The Mandalorian? Well, Damon, <laughs> last week I said this wouldn't happen at all. 
Yes. Um, I'm, I'm going to regurgitate what I said by saying this. They can't possibly show that decision until Mando season three. But God knows they will just do it anyway. Honestly, Christian, I could see Grogu choosing Mando next episode and then Luke showing up on Tatooine, bringing Grogu back and then getting involved in the, the whole mob war. <laughs> so I, after this episode, I wouldn't put anything past them. I, I, I agree, unfortunately. Like, he's going to show up full Beskar armor and, like, deflect a bullet right at one of the pikes, and that's uh, how they win the battle. Like, <laughs> no, I wouldn't put it past them. I mean, like I said before this episode, I would never dare dream, like, we would get anything that grand, you know, with the season finale of, you know, Book of Boba Fett. But after seeing what they gave us here... I think anything's possible. I mean, that's a huge can of worms to open, though, because mm -hmm. you're talking about heightening your fans' expectations to, like, almost an impossible level. But, I mean, that's kind of what they've been doing with the last two episodes. I mean, that's what happened at the end of Mando Season 2, and that's what it looks like it's going to happen here, you know? Well, they really have their work cut out for them with the finale because they've got a lot to live up to after yeah. this episode. Uh, but we'll see if they can pull it off. Do you think Boba's war with the Pikes gets resolved in the finale? Or do you think it's going to continue on un until... Or do you think it's going to continue on to another season of Book of Boba or perhaps in, like, season three of The Mandalorian? I could see them doing probably a lot more of what we got with this episode with the uh, Pikes doing bombs in random places. And then we get to maybe a finale in the in this episode, in the next episode, where they win a battle, but it's definitely not the end of this war. Where we find out someone else is backing the pikes yeah. and maybe like Crimson Dawn or someone shows up. I think that's probably the more likely scenario, especially with how much they strayed away from their main character. Because mm -hmm. that makes me feel like this is definitely not like one and done. Like if they want to fully like, you know, resolve his storyline because if they want to fully resolve his storyline in just one season they wouldn't have had so little of him in the last two episodes now i did want to bring this up originally when we heard about this series and they talked about the episode count and this was just all rumors but we heard that it was going to be like four episodes long mm -hmm. do you think maybe they decided to just like squeeze in a bunch of like mando stuff like after they were shooting like Mandalorian season three and they're like, well, this doesn't really fit the narrative we're going with right here. You know, maybe it's better to like stretch out Book of Boba Fett, you know, throw in like a bonus episode of the Mandalorian, um, you know, almost as like a prologue for that series um, and just like stretch out Book of Boba like to like, you know, seven episodes because he's not even in uh, chapter five and we see him once in chapter six and he doesn't even have a line so i mean it just feels like they might have like decided to stretch out book of boba fett and at the same time do a lot of leg work for mandalorian season three i'll be really interested to hear like the behind the scene thought process with laying out this season exactly because what you're saying makes a whole lot of sense because nothing about these past two episodes have even felt remotely like the first four 
you know i think the only part that like i was like oh we're getting back to the mobster stuff as soon as i saw the pikes you yeah. know again in this episode and i was like this felt very different compared to what we've just experienced with all i mean the grand grandness of the force and everything with grogu and stuff like that it just felt like a very different pace almost. i mean you're right they could have just like taken parts of the finale and bookend you know the whole you know training montage that we got between Luke and Grogu, knowing that no one would complain about it. Exactly. Because <laughs> trust me, I'm not complaining. I thought it was fantastic. I think it's one of the best hours of Star Wars we've ever gotten. Especially when you think about like how it really serves so many different parts of, you know, their fandom. I mean, Clone War kids, you know, prequel kids. <laughs> uh, you know, original trilogy kids like myself. And honestly, I mean, we're just speculating. Who the fuck knows? Maybe this is how uh-huh. it was all originally planned. But <laughs> I swear to God, when it was originally announced, we heard that, you know, it was four episodes long. Because you remember when the, it came out that it was seven episodes? I was like, holy shit. You know, no, we yeah. were surprised. We were taking it back. We we're like, oh, we're, we're only getting four episodes. Because I was disappointed when I heard of the original count. I was like, oh, we're only going to get four. Yeah. But I guess they'll try and make it. It even... To a, to a degree, it makes sense because there's a lot in those first four episodes that feel a little bit like, OK, we had extra footage that we could have used to draw this out more, especially if they needed to, you know, do add like a couple scenes here and there to make these two that they threw in work for the finale and stuff like that. No, I agree. I agree. I mean, here's to hoping that next week can again be one of the greatest hours in Star Wars. <laughs> like, there's no way we're not going to get mm-hmm. Boba riding a Rancor. I mean, if not here, then maybe in Mandalorian, but... I, right? Like, it's this story has to continue, because I can't yeah. imagine them doing all that next, you know, next episode. So, like, he is riding that Rancor into town, and that Rancor <laughs> is eating the mayor. Like, I'm telling you right now, that's what's gonna happen. Oh, he's on vacation. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, they've got a lot to live up to. Uh, but here's to hoping they pull it off. And now for a quick message from our sponsor, Pear.com. If you have a business, you need a website. What's the best way to get a website up and running? Choose a website hosting company that makes it simple like Pear Networks. Pear has over 20 years of experience managing the entire digital ecosystem for thousands of online businesses all around the world. Pear makes it easy for you with do-it-yourself website building tools and features including simple drag and drop page design and they have guaranteed US-based support technicians ready to help you whenever you need it 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Right now, listeners, when you sign up with Pear Networks, you'll receive one free month of web hosting. for yourself how easy it is to build your website for free. Visit pair.com slash free to get your first month of website hosting for free by using the code QUICKSTART. Once again, that's pair.com slash free promo code QUICKSTART to get started today. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. This past week in gaming was a busy one. As gamers prepared for the release of Dying Light 2, several new gameplay trailers dropped for some of the titles on my most anticipated list. But before talking gameplay footage, I would like to share my thoughts on Sony's acquisition of Bungie. So Sony decided to go ahead and sling $3.6 billion at Bungie Studios after the massive news of Xbox buying Activision Blizzard. Bungie most known for being the devs behind, you know, the original Halo games and more recently 
recently, Destiny believes they have found a genuine partner in Sony Interactive. Bungie further explained the deal that was made by letting us know while they will be under Sony, they will not be confined to only making games for PlayStation, like the other first party studios under the Sony. Which, you know, makes sense for now. However, I don't imagine that will remain the same in the future. You know, Destiny is a big multi-platform game, so allowing that to continue is a no-brainer. However, anything else they make, in my opinion, will be limited to PlayStation. You know, just how we saw Xbox do with Bethesda, you know, making all their stuff exclusively for Microsoft. While this is a smaller deal than what we saw with Microsoft this year so far, this seems to be a trend going across the gaming industry. Multiple companies now trying to just pick up other studios. As Sony doesn't want to be left behind with Microsoft buying these big studios out there. But speaking of PlayStation exclusivity, we got a quick two minute trailer for Horizon Forbidden West that continues to show off the impressive gameplay on the PS5. This will be a major game for their new console as it looks absolutely stunning. The trailer highlighted different aspects of journeying through the Western Front as you will be again gearing up Alloy in new gear styles and you know some new cool weapons that you can use. You'll also be able to train in these new weapons and skills in a melee pit. Hunting again is encouraged as you'll be able to you know find rare machine parts to further upgrade yourself. One of the most interesting things they showed off with in this trailer was an arena where you can actually fight the you know, larger machines and we got a cool glimpse of this giant metal cobra in the ring with alloy. Overall this trailer just does an excellent job giving you an idea of the open world element outside the story mode that will be prominent in this game. And uh, honestly if I wasn't hyped enough already this trailer just brought it up another notch. Horizon Forbidden West is only two weeks away with a release on February 18th. We also got to see an amazing gameplay overview for Ghostwire Tokyo. This super neon action thriller thrusts you the player into a supernatural Tokyo where everyone has vanished besides you because you're being possessed by a spirit. This trailer shows off your abilities and how you're going to be using this power of ethereal weaving. The abilities being tied to the elements seems like it will have you feeling like the avatar as you unlock wind, fire, and water powers. On top of that they showed off that there's going to be weapons like mystical bows and promised a large range of different weapons at your disposal. One of your primary objectives will be to to cleanse the city of Tokyo by purifying Tori gates across the map. And if fighting supernatural baddies wasn't enough, the game will also have you going through these Utena spaces that look like mini PT experiences in the game. Seeing everything in action gave this game a massive sense of scale as well. As they were showing off how you get around the city, you were able to get up to you know the tops of skyscrapers while also being able to fight on the ground. And with tons of abilities to play around with, I'm super excited for this game to come out. Ghostwire Tokyo launches March 25th and you can bet I'm gonna play it live on stream for all of you. So make sure you're following us on Twitch as there are a ton of games coming out this year that I'm definitely going to have to try. Uh, depending on how things go I am still currently planning on playing Sifu next weekend so perhaps I'll have my impressions next week. Until then let's talk some wrestling. This week's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is sponsored by Manscaped. Roses are red, violets are blue, don't let a wild pube wreck you. Valentine's Day is just around the corner and our sponsors at Manscaped are here for you with the best tools to get your balls ready for the special occasion. This V-Day, it's time to join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, the leaders in below the waist grooming. With our exclusive offer by going to manscaped.com and using our promo code 20AMAZING for 20% off plus free shipping. Everyone knows nothing could ruin the mood on the most romantic day of the year like an untamed bush so make 
sure your bouquet is on point this year with Manscaped. The holidays went by so quickly. Did you remember to take care of your package with the best tools for the job? The Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped is just the thing every guy needs in their life to make each and every day just a little more special. The number one product in this package is the Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is designed to trim hair on loose skin. And get this, the trimmer's advanced skin-safe technology reduces cuts and nicks on your delicate balls. It even has a 4000K LED spotlight so you could shave everywhere your heart desires. Also, did I mention it's water resistant too? Folks, I'd like to propose making February 13th a national holiday as National Shave Your Balls Day. Who's with me, folks? I think this is one holiday that men and women can get behind. This package also includes the Weed Whacker, nose and ear hair trimmer to whack all the worst of your weeds. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts, their shed travel bag and anti-chafing boxer briefs to keep your boys stored comfortably. To complete the perfect package for your package are liquid formulations like the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Ball Toner. Start your day off with the deodorant for your balls then stay cool with the toner to keep you feeling your best all day and all night. These formulations will also have your balls smelling like a king on the big day. And don't forget to smell good not only around your balls, but all over. Made with their signature scent, the Manscaped Refined Cologne will complement your collection with smell perfection. Manscaped created their products for a night just like this and will make your V-Day date say, wow, great set of balls you have there. So stop what you're doing and go to manscaped.com for our exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20amazing. Your balls and lady will thank you. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code 20amazing at manscaped.com. I can't stress this enough. It's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using our promo code 20amazing. Make sure you join Cupid and shoot your arrow with Manscaped this Valentine's Day. I didn't fly halfway across the country into an ice storm with my baby to have a chat. I came to teach her the family business of kicking ass. And you are just one of many I owe an ass beaten to. Well, Christian, to say that the Rumble was lackluster this year would definitely be an understatement. Um, extremely so. I was not prepared to be this bored watching, you know, a 30-man Rumble. Yeah, I mean, really disappointing. I mean, the Rumble is one of the few pay-per-views I look forward to WWE-wise, uh, you know, throughout the year. And, I mean, they really shit the bed this time. Uh we're not going to do a full review because honestly, there's not like tons to talk about, but we're just going to briefly go through the card. So I don't know about you, but for me, the match of the night, even with the shitty finish, was probably Roman versus Seth. Um, it's the first time Seth's character like has clicked with me. Like I enjoyed the mind games he was playing, you know, him coming down to the shield music and, you know, him wearing the shield outfit and everything. Um, I just thought the finish, though, was weak 50-50, like, bullshit booking. Uh, I mean, I understand. Like, they want to keep Roman strong, but they don't want Seth to lose. I mean, whatever. If, if you fucking pass out, <laughs> you know, when you're in, the, in a chokehold and you happen to touch a rope while doing so, I you, you still lost in my book. That definitely was the first match and best match of the entire show. But... 
I didn't have, I guess, too much of an issue with them because I, I expect that from almost these WWE matches at this point, them constantly trying to make everyone look strong. But I, I def- there was no way Roman was going to lose. There was just no. And I'm fine with, you know, Roman winning, but just let him win clean then. You know, like, I you guess. don't need this bullshit fucking ending, <laughs> especially since this was like the first real opponent I feel like Roman has had in a while. Like, they actually did a decent job building up this match over the last couple of weeks with Seth. Like, we found out that, like, you know, Seth is still underneath, like, Roman's skin from, like, the original betrayal of the Shield, you know, breaking mm-hmm. up that group. So I thought it was actually decent storytelling. Um, but the finish, I don't know, kind of tarnished that for me, at least. Uh, moving on to the women's Rumble match. Uh, I think it was the best out of the two Rumbles. Uh, that's not say much. Uh, it was entertaining for the most part. Uh, it just wasn't a great match, though. <laughs> Lots of fun mm. surprises, uh, you know, but very little continuity and storytelling in the ring uh, for the current talent, especially. Uh, Ronda came back and got a good reception, but I don't think they did a really great job of, like, protecting her enough. Uh, I mean, she hasn't wrestled in almost two years, so I'm not sure why they had her in the ring for so long. Like, I don't blame her for being rusty, and Jesus Christ, she just had a kid, like, four months ago. But, like, Mm. (laughs) if there's ever a time not to, like, overexpose her, it'd be in this match. She obviously went on to win the thing, um, which we predicted. Uh, apparently, yeah. <laughs> she's going to be facing Charlotte, not Becky at WrestleMania. I guess this is to please okay. the Fox executives. Uh, they want her on the show. Um, she's going to be sticking around for the entire year. So she's going to end up facing Charlotte this year and then facing off against Becky next year. Um I don't know. Story-wise, it doesn't really make any sense. I mean, Becky is the one who pinned her for the title at WrestleMania. So you would think that she would have a chip on her shoulder and want to get, like, revenge against Becky. So for her to, like, choose Charlotte, I mean, really just doesn't add up. Is she going to beat Charlotte and then we see Becky lose her title and then maybe Becky moves back to Fox so that they can have that feud happen there instead? I mean, honestly, Christian, who the fuck knows? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure they don't. I mean, the way they change plans, like, you know, daily, uh, I'm sure that's all up in the air right now. I mean, the fact that they're even committing to some kind of storyline a year out says a lot for them. And it feels like quite an undertaking for them, honestly, at this point. Uh, so we'll see if they stick to that. On Raw the night after, uh, they did have a confrontation of the ring. Becky was really hamming up as a heel. Um, and Rhonda was this, like, stone-faced, like, I guess, tweener character, almost? Like, she wasn't a baby face, but she wasn't a heel. She just had no emotion. It's almost like she's trying not to play up to the crowd, because I'm sure they're scared that they would turn on her. Because um, I'm guessing the plan is for Charlotte to be the heel, you know, at WrestleMania. And honestly, at this point... I still feel like if they put Becky and Ronda together, the majority of the crowd's going to cheer Becky, even Mm -hmm. with this ridiculous heel character that she's portrayed. So I'm guessing like part of it might be to protect Ronda, um, but just let her be heel then. Like if she's going to, if she wants to be heel or, you know, 
you feel like the crowd's gonna boo her, then don't go against the grain. Just let her be healed, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, don't go against the grain with Becky. Let her be fucking face. <laughs> I know, and she's choosing to be a heel. I guess it was her choice to be a heel here. But it's just not working, you know? And every time she's out there, as we saw with the next match, you know, the crowd just kind of sits on their hands because they don't want to boo her, you know? And half of them end up cheering her anyway, even though she's supposed to be this, like, you know, over-the-top heel. It's too late, Damon. I mean, they already made the 3D graphics of her face and the glasses and everything. (laughs) It's just going to stick, all right? (laughs) I mean, I know they're cheap. I don't think they're that cheap, Christian. Um, and and with with Rhonda, I mean, maybe they need. And I know this is just a name thing; it's just me. But you know, maybe they just need to drop the ra- rowdy part of it because she's not a rowdy character. Every time they she comes into the WWE, she's not you know this noisy, rambunctious character. They keep trying to push her as this like silent assassin type character. I don't I don't get it. I I don't know, Christian. I think that's the least of her problems. Honestly, <laughs> I honestly feel like it hurt her feelings when the crowd turned on her at that SummerSlam. I think it was SummerSlam or maybe it was. I don't know. It was it, she had a match with Charlotte. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. And uh, Charlotte ended up like attacking her in the middle of the match, you know, and going full fledged heel. And the crowd loved it and started like cheering <laughs> Charlotte and booing Rhonda. And ever since then. You know, it feels like she's been super guarded and they don't know, you know, what to do with her. Um, And Mm. it feels like she almost like lost confidence after that, too. Um, You know, because you remember that's when she started doing all those weird like interviews and everything, kind of talking down about wrestling and, you know, wrestling fans. And part of that's you know, part of the show. I don't feel like she's been the same inside of the ring since then and outside of the ring. Like her promos, just everything just lacks confidence about her. So it's almost like she kind of got her feelings hurt, it seems like. Um, And maybe I'm just reading into things. But, like, I'm wondering if that's why we're having this persona now with Rhonda, with her coming out and not playing up to the fans. Even though, you know, they want to cheer and they're excited to see her. Like, she's, I don't know, she's almost robotic. Like, it's she's trying Mm -hmm. too hard, almost, (laughs) to portray this character. And it's not coming off very natural to me. I mean, usually I would say it's, you know, Vince saying, hey, you got to act like this because like, you know, one of those like Finn Balor smile situations. But I could see her being a little bit more guarded, especially after her first run. Mm -hmm. Uh, Back to the Royal Rumble match itself. I just, you know, while this was the better of the two, I, I don't know, man. All these like, you know, old superstars that are in not really having much of a spot or any type of impact. Most of the wrestlers in the match didn't feel like they had like a big impactful moment when they came in. Rousey herself, when she showed up, she, you know, struggles to fight with the Bella Twins in the corner. And that's the beginning of her like moment in this match. And I was like, I'm so used to those just huge like, you know, this wrestler gets in, clears maybe half the ring. And then, you know, that's when they stop the character and stuff like that. The Rumble matches, um, especially the women's Rumble match, in years past have always been a lot more mapped out than they were mm. this year. This felt like a classic, you know, 1980s just battle royal, like where they're just everyone's in there, do you know, going through the motions. Everyone's doing the typical like hang from the ropes thing. Whereas typically with a Rumble match, 
you have these designed moments for like most of your stars to really shine and stand mm. out or they pay off different storylines or continue different storylines throughout the rumble and like this year we didn't really get that in either one of the matches now i feel like the women's match just did a better job overall but i think that's because they had more surprises because and we'll talk about it later on but the men's match hardly had any surprises but yes overall both matches were pretty poorly booked i mean you think about it like even in this match like sasha starts off at number one and you're expecting her to kind of last a long time and have some big moments and then she's just kind of thrown out like unceremoniously where it Mm -hmm. like it didn't feel like it meant anything like no one got the shine off of it it wasn't a huge moment it just kind of happened like it was like okay well that felt like you know strange like that should have been a bigger deal and it just wasn't and i felt like the announcers even like undersold certain things but i think it just you know once again from what we've heard is like throughout the day like the matches kept on changing you know so if you have that lack of like continuity like at a certain point like you're gonna lose those story threads that you know matter and make your matches entertaining because if you have a situation like that at a certain point things just start getting more and more watered down and who can keep track of what you know (laughs) you know and you've got so many moving parts in a rumble match as is if you keep on changing the plan i mean it's just gonna cause chaos so up next, we had Becky versus Dewdrop. This match was what it was. Uh, no one thought Dewdrop had a chance to win, so it was really hard to get invested in this match. In a moment of poetic justice, the WrestleMania sign actually caught fire, <laughs> which might be an omen for things to come. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't know, man. Like, once again, not to harp on Becky, but like when you have a situation like this and you have a heel versus a heel... Like, it's going to be really hard for the the crowd to really, like, get behind anyone. And I felt like that was the problem with this match. Dewdrop is supposed to be a fucking heel, and they have her go against Becky, who's also supposed to be heel. So huh. it's like, who are we supposed to choose? Like, who are we supposed to cheer for? And most of them were cheering for Becky, and it was kind of booked like Becky was the baby face. But at the same time, you know, she's doing all these cowardly things. So, I don't know. It's just, it's strange booking. And I don't get it. I mean, I like getting to see newer wrestlers go up against, you know, for the titles. But yeah, I, I never at one moment thought Dewdrop was going to win this match. Yeah, and that's the problem, right? They're just going mm-hmm. through the motions. They're not really making anyone in these matches. They're not getting anyone over. You know, this didn't help Dewdrop get over as a heel. So I, I don't know. I don't know. This was definitely a miss for me. So up next... And I could have this completely out of order, but I don't care at this point. Uh, We have Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley for the uh, WWE Championship. So leading up to this match, I was pretty excited. They did a great job with like the promo packages and everything. Um, Just, you know, building this up to be a big event. 20 years in the making. But honestly, I don't know. Like, it it felt kind of like a letdown. Um, like, I actually started getting worried for, like, Lashley's well-being. Like, Lesnar kept on dropping him <laughs> on his fucking head. <laughs> um, to the point where you could tell Lashley was getting, like, concerned, too. Because he started taking the, those Germans on his shoulders. I don't know if you noticed that. Like, he started turning. Like, turning no, them to his that. side. Yeah. So, like, it started off with Lashley hitting 
Lesnar with a uh, German. And I think mm-hmm. he kind of dropped him a little too much on his head. And I don't know, La- Lesnar smiled and <laughs> it was kind of like, oh, no, it's on now. And then all of a sudden Lesnar <laughs> started dropping Lashley on his fucking head. Like, and he did it like once or twice. And then after that, like Lashley was just not having any of that. And it was like twisting whenever he was about to hit the mat. And I was like, oh my God, he's going to fucking destroy his shoulders. Um, but apparently he's okay. Um, you know, we've got, we got the Heyman turn that we predicted last week. We saw Roman interfere and cost Lesnar the match. Um, the crowd popped big for Heyman, like handing the title over to Roman. I mean, it shows that, you know, the audience is actually invested in the storyline. Um, and it's the one storyline that they've been consistent with and they've done a pretty good job of building. I would have liked to see Lashley and like the WWE championship not be such an afterthought though. Um, you know, just like a stepping stone on the way to like mm-hmm. WrestleMania on the main event, but it is what it is. Um, cause that's definitely where Lesnar is headed to the main events of WrestleMania. I mean, I would have liked at least to have, um, Lashley put the final move in of the match yes. at least. Like I was hoping that he'd get up and then like, maybe if, even if he had went for that pinfall attempt right then. Brock Lesnar would have had like a really weak kick out and then he could have, you know, done the final statement there and got the finisher and won. But uh, I don't know. I, I just wasn't into Roman like getting pretty much taking all the credit for the match. You know? Exactly. Like have like Lashley pick up Lesnar, put him in the hurt lock. And since he's already unconscious, the ref calls for the bell. You know, you could exactly. have done something because at least you have that one visual of Lashley like defeating Lesnar. You know, mm-hmm. and at least it looks like it was on his own, you know, so he could play it up in his like, you know, highlight packages and, you know, the night afterwards. But that brings us to the men's rumble, uh, which was an absolute bore. Uh, it suffered from a lack of storytelling and, you know, moments, big moments that are a staple of, you know, any rumble match. Uh, no one furthered their storylines in any fashion during this match. Uh, and really, like, we didn't have any surprises besides, like, fucking Bad Bunny, who did a fine job. But then there's sweaty-ass mm. Shane O'Mac who comes out and, you know, tries to fucking steal the spotlight from everyone. I don't know, like, once again, this really just magnified for me, like, the lack of star power on the roster. And that's not the wrestler's fault. That's just the way they've been booked. Um you know, WWE just doesn't know how to make superstars anymore. I mean, we talked about this last week. No one in this match felt like a believable contender to win the thing. Mm-hmm. Like, they did nothing story-wise to get you invested in anyone's journey, like, in the Rumble. And, like, you know, in years past, you'd have at least a handful of guys where, you know, it was a big deal for them to qualify the Rumble and you thought that they had a chance and they would cut a couple promos about how much it would mean to them to, like, actually main event WrestleMania. We got none of that this year. None of it. And like I said before, apparently, like, plans changed a lot throughout the day uh, when it came to, like, how the match was booked. So that might have led to a lot of wrestlers just kind of, like, going through the motions and probably a lot of confusion, I'm sure. Uh, apparently Shane McMahon was one of the producers on the match and he caused a lot of drama backstage, uh, when he Hmm. wasn't getting what he wanted, which I can't even imagine what that was 
Because not only, like, did he make the final four in the match, right? But, like, he outstriked, like, a former UFC star, Matt Riddle. <laughs> like, he eliminated Kevin fucking Owens. And, like, the only person who could end up getting, like, Shane McMahon out was Brock fucking Lesnar. Like, <laughs> what else did the this guy want? Like he wanted to jump off the burning WrestleMania right? side, obviously. <laughs> I mean, he's the thing's catching fire. I got to jump he's off. Fifty-two years old. He like throws mm-hmm. the worst fucking punches in the business. Like and like all yes. those things are fucking stiff as all hell because you could tell like he doesn't know how to throw a wrestling punch, like a working punch. Like so he's just punching people left and right, tagging motherfuckers in the ring, and just like sweating profusely like to the point of it being concerning like is this guy gonna fucking drop dead in any moment <laughs> like within like just a couple minutes he's pouring buckets of sweat uh-huh. like what's going on <laughs> i mean the crowd popped for him which i didn't understand at all because last time we saw him he definitely had that like go away heat um you know with all his horrible story you remember like the last time we saw him i think he was involved in that storyline with uh, Braun Strowman at WrestleMania. Okay. You remember that? Yeah, the big idiot oh, storyline. Yeah, which made no sense. That had all those weird, awkward like promos by him um, that went nowhere. Just, oh, God. So they thought they were going to bring this guy back. And he was actually going to like have a huge featured match on WrestleMania. Um, but like he had so much backstage heat. That they actually decided just to let him go. Like now, a lot of people are reporting this like he got fired. I don't know if that's actually the case here. Like if he even had like a contract. I think it was just like mm. we're gonna drop that storyline, Shane. Just you know, we'll talk to you later. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know. I guess it was such a debacle that they were like, no, we've had enough. We'll maybe see you next year. So you could you could jump off something really high then, but. We don't need you right now. So, um, which I'm not crying about, honestly. So, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah, Lesnar entered at number 30. He won the whole thing. And now he's going to end up facing Roman at WrestleMania. As predicted. (laughs) Um, God, I was disappointed that like Drew McIntyre didn't get like to fight him for at least a second, you know? Yeah. They like had a little like stare down, but. That's pretty much it. Um, apparently, they were short on time for some reason, even oh, though okay. they're on like the Peacock network. So I don't understand like how that even works. Um, it's not like Peacock is going to force them off the air, but mm-hmm. whatever. But anyway, the next day on Raw, we found out that Lesnar is going to actually be part of the Elimination Chamber match uh, that's going to be taking place in uh, Saudi Arabia in like three weeks. Uh, which is for the WWE Championship. So that's really strange um, because I don't foresee Lesnar losing a match on the way to WrestleMania um, and to, like, not win the title at the Elimination Chamber the way that fucking match is laid out. You have to lose. I just, I mean, because it's a multi-man match, there's a million excuses they but can they make all, for but, how Lesnar. So, gets what do you think they all out. like team up on him and like possibly he gets pinned that way? I guess I don't know, man. It, it just feels like strange booking, and maybe just being mm-hmm. you know the prince over there wants to have him in a match, so they just threw him in there just to throw him in there because <laughs> of course money talks and they make 
tons mm-hmm. of money off, you know, going to, you know, Saudi Arabia for the year. Um, but yeah, no, it is strange booking to say the least. Um, cause I, I can't imagine like Lashley losing that belt that soon, unless they've had a total like about face. And now they want that main event match at WrestleMania be title versus title with, you know, Lesnar holding the WWE belt and, you know, Roman holding the universal title. But then like, why even have Lesnar lose the title in the first place? <laughs> if that's the case, that won't be decided until three weeks from oh now. My God. Until they've you know made up their mind on what they want to well, do. I'm sure plans have changed like as we're recording this. So, hmm. um, but yeah, no, it, it just, it's just messy booking. And I've always hated the Saudi shows because I, you know, one for obvious reasons, but two also because I feel like they always ruin like the momentum of like the ongoing product. You know, they feel like they're mm. kind of shoehorned in there and, you know, they put on these matches that don't make much sense storyline wise. So in the actual Elimination Chamber match, we've got AJ Styles, Austin Theory, Matt Riddle, um, Brock Lesnar, Bobby Lashley, and Seth Rollins. So who's actually going by Seth freaking Rollins now? Like, that's his official name. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it should be an entertaining match. I'm not going to watch it because it's in Saudi and I just refuse to watch those pay-per-views. But um, I don't foresee anyone winning that title from Lashley besides Lesnar. Uh, so, and I, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I liked it much better when I felt like they were using the Elimination Chamber to like name the number one contender for the other belt that wasn't being challenged for, you know, by the Royal Rumble winner. Yeah, like I remember when it used to be like, oh, you didn't win the Royal Rumble, we'll now go through hell yes. to get a chance to be in Mania. Exactly, exactly. So mm. it just, I don't know, it felt more important to me then. It was more of an exciting yes. match. Now it's just another championship match, you know, another gimmick championship match. So, um, but if you listen to the show, you know, I've never been a big fan of the Elimination Chamber match. So um, I know it's one of Christian's favorite matches, though. I mean, it used to uh-huh. be. I, I've started to sour at these points. Uh-huh, yeah. you know? <laughs> it's hard not to. So, uh-huh. But yeah, but that's pretty much everything WWE-wise. Um, they didn't do much to win me over and make me feel like I need to start watching the show religiously again. Which is too bad because the Rumble used to be like one of the highlights of the year for WWE, for me at least. Oh, it was supposed to be the start of that two month run to the road to WrestleMania. You know, that's it was the big it was one of the biggest shows. And now it's just kind of like, okay, we're still kind of coming up with ideas as we move. Yeah, right. Also, if the sign caught fire the first time, why did they do the fireworks again? That's right. That's right. (laughs) Did you catch Brock laughing at it? (laughs) Yeah, it it went up in flames again and Brock started laughing. Oh, my God. (laughs) Like, how irresponsible it is that they would try to set Uh it off again. Like, that's insane. They had to actually evacuate that whole section. Like, burning debris was, like, falling onto the crowd. Fucking idiots. <laughs> but anyway, uh, did you watch AEW Dynamite this week, Christian? I did not catch it, trying to watch everything else so that we're prepared for this show. But were there any highlights from this week's episode? Yeah, I mean, there's there were some highlights. It, it was an okay Dynamite overall. Uh, <laughs> you know, we had a good opening match between Moxley and Willer Uda. Uh it seems like Dan Housen is hanging out with the best friends now, which makes sense with his history with Orange Cassidy. 
uh, you know, but the match was okay. Um, after the match, uh, we had this really cool moment between Moxley and Brian Danielson, uh, which they, they've been teasing kind of a confrontation for the last couple of weeks. Uh, but yeah, Danielson got in the ring and made a proposal uh, to Moxley to join forces. Uh, like most of the crowd, I honestly love the idea. Uh, I doubt they're going to go in that direction, uh, but who knows? I mean, maybe they surprise us, but it seems like Danielson's whole thing was, you know, together we could rule this place. You know, we're wrestlers, wrestlers, you know, we've got a bunch of goofs running around like Orange Cassidy and Dan Housen and they don't belong in the ring with us. Um, he also mentioned like taking someone under their wing, you know, like a, a Daniel Garcia, um, you know, and mold and, you know, their image. Um, I love the idea. The crowd was chanting yes the entire time, uh-huh. <laughs> except for when he insulted Dan Housen and Orange Cassidy, um, you know, It'd be cool to see this kind of like faction of like former WWE stars, like, you know, on this like mission to like clean up AEW. Uh, but once again, I doubt that's going to happen. But it should, right? Like th- they should totally do this team. I-, I I can imagine John Moxley will probably say no just because it's not part of his character to be, you know, in like a big team. But if they I were mean, to Christian, do. He was in the shield, so. I, I said John Moxley. We're not talking about Ambrose here. All right, well, this is a different. He does guy, hang with okay? Eddie Kingston a lot. <laughs> yeah, but they're good friends. They're bruds. You know, they're not like a team. I team. guess. Weren't they called the Wild Things at one point? <laughs> Listen, I can make as many excuses as you want me to like uh, say right now. But I'm just saying, I would love this type of faction where they're trying to you know bring you know the younger talent to their side as well. I think that'd be pretty fucking awesome. Especially if they're like super self-righteous about it and they're on this quest to make AEW more like WWE. Like that's the mm. only way I could see them pulling off being heels. Because especially the way the crowd reacted to the whole idea. Like I was like, these guys are going to get nothing but cheered, you know, together. So, um, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. The two of them can create heat. We know that they're capable. Uh, of it. People really like John Moxley right now. <laughs> you know so i don't know i don't know um although i do think moxley was on his way to being a heel um you know before he you know went on sabbatical so i mean maybe this is in the cards for him you know eventually but on that note someone who has no problem getting booed is brandy rhodes <laughs> who uh you know, was definitely a low light of the night. I know we're supposed to be talking about highlights, but <laughs> uh, I definitely want to touch on this because this just was awkward. Um, she got in the ring. She started cutting a promo, a heel promo on Chicago. Um, it wasn't going okay. over very well. <laughs> it wasn't delivered very well. Uh, all of a sudden, she gets interrupted by Dan Lambert. Uh, we still have no like idea why brandy was in the ring in the first place so it didn't even make much sense uh but yeah i mean lambert and her had an interaction which i defended uh, like a month ago um you know i thought it was okay uh but here it just felt really forced um like i understand at the beginning of aew they didn't have much of a women's division so they had to use who they had but now at this point they, they they've got 
tons of you know women's wrestlers to be featured on this show and brandy she's still super green so it, it just feels like she doesn't deserve this spot and that's not saying that she, she can't end up being a great wrestler but right now just doesn't feel like her time and to be in a segment like this that you know really ate up you know a, a nice portion of the show just i don't know it's just unfortunate um you know because i don't know where this is even leading to um and i don't know why i should care but they had like this <laughs> like back and forth between her and lambert you know lambert was making some awful sexist remarks you know mm-hmm. randy was trying to like you know do some heel comebacks that just weren't really working um and the crowd was just you know destroying her there was lots of like shut the fuck up chance and everything. <laughs> it was pretty nasty out there uh but then all of a sudden uh one of lambert's uh mma fighters um the female who was with the group um earlier like a couple months ago um, you know, when mm-hmm. they had that program with the inner circle, I can't think of her name off the top of my head. Um, she showed up and got in like Brandy's face and they had this huge like pull apart. So it looks like they're going to be working a program against each other. Um, I don't get this. Like, this feels like such a waste of like the men of the year, especially. Um, and it just feels like it's not going to go anywhere. You know, why would you put this, you know, MMA fighter in the ring against Brandy? Like, so you're going to have two green wrestlers going against each other. And Lambert is also in the corner of uh, Lance Archer right now. So it just, I don't know. I feel like you're stretching him way too thin. So I don't know. I don't understand it. I don't get it. Yeah, I just, you know, with, you know, two women's titles right now and, you know, all these female wrestlers that they could possibly be building up towards a title opportunity. I don't see anything, you know, see why this story is being featured on the main show, at least. Because, you know, who wasn't on the card tonight? Um, Your women's champion. That's right. And Jade Cargill. So both of your women's. And Jade Cargill. Both of your women's champions. (laughs) But now I almost want to give them the benefit of the doubt because I was saying this off mic. Like this show felt really like light on wrestlers um and i the part of that because the main event was like 45 minutes long but it almost felt like part of the roster wasn't there and you know we live in chicago we know the weather was awful the last couple days so i'm wondering if some flights got canceled or something and this was kind of like a last minute audible or something that they, they decided to go with because it just felt strange and out of place. Mm. And like, once again, it just felt like there weren't many wrestlers like featured on this show. So um, I could be completely wrong, but I guess we'll find out in the next couple of days if stories start coming out that, you know, a lot of people weren't actually at the show tonight. Would be a good explanation, though. Just be like that one uh, show where NXT had to take over for WWE. Everyone right? Because, yeah, we didn't like the Young Bucks weren't on the show tonight. There's just mm-hmm. a lot of people missing. So, uh, but I mean, who knows? Maybe they're saving them all for Rampage. So, another low light for me. And I don't know why we're talking about low lights all of a sudden, but <laughs> maybe I'm just a negative person. Uh, is that I still don't care about Adam Page versus Lance Archer? Uh, <laughs> and it seemed like the crowd felt the same way uh and you know overall like this was more of a subdued chicago crowd and i feel like the crowd was smaller probably because of the travel situation right now 
Um, but mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I, I I feel like this match and this program is hurting Paige's momentum as a champion, uh, and it just feels like an afterthought. Uh, like they're having this Texas death match and there's like no reason for it really. And that's kind of what they're doing here with like, you know, starting off this program, I'm guessing it's probably a one shot with like a Texas death match. Like <laughs> it's just, it's oh. backwards booking. Well, yeah, nothing says one and done than an extreme match to start your show. You know, it's like, just, I don't know. Like, it's like it, they haven't done anything to convince me that Lance Archer could possibly win this title here. We had Paige come out, cut a promo. Dan Lambert uh, interrupted along with Jake the Snake. I don't know why Archer needs two old men in his corner <laughs> talking for him. And then, like, while Jake is talking, all of a sudden Lance just charges past both of them and attacks, you know, Paige. And then they get into a big brawl. Uh, Lance ends up powerbombing um, Paige on the steps. And that's, you know, how it ended. It still wasn't enough for me to like want to see a Texas death match though between these two. I mean, the only reason I watch Lance Archer matches at this point is to hear his theme. So, <laughs> uh, and like I said, I realize this is probably a one-off, um, and I'm sure the match itself is going to be fine. But it just feels uh, like such a mid-card feud, and you don't want your champion to have that kind of mid-card perception around him. Mm-hmm. So, But I feel like that's what's happening with a program like this. But anyway, enough of the negative. Um, let's talk CM Punk versus MJF. I thought they had a really good match. Uh, they got plenty of time. I think the match started uh, an hour and 15 minutes into the show, so they had about 45 minutes. Um, I thought the match maybe started off a little too cute in the beginning. Uh, a lot of like classic chicken shit heel spots. Um, you know, CM Punk not taking MJF very seriously. Um, they had this weird like false finish, uh, where MJF was choking CM Punk with like some tape. The ref, the ref didn't see it. Um, Punk ended up passing out. Um, MJF gets his hand raised and then the tape like falls out from underneath his arm. The ref sees it and restarts the match. Um, I don't think the match really needed that. Uh, it did seem to work on the crowd. So maybe I'm wrong though. Right. <laughs> but after that, they definitely picked up the pace. Um, I thought they told a damn good story. I mean, MJF is just this dastardly villain. Um, he did everything he possibly could do to like win this match and ultimately it ended up paying off like i said punk might have underestimated him at first and i think it ended up costing him the match so if they do you know end up doing a rematch i could see that whole storyline kind of playing out like now i'm gonna take you seriously but mjf ended up winning the match uh with the help of wardlow uh he was on the ground outside of the ring. CM Punk uh, went to go grab him. Wardlow comes out, gets in between him and MJF. Uh, it looks like there might be a confrontation between him and Punk. But then Wardlow kind of steps out of the way and lets Punk, you know, grab MJF to throw him back in the ring. This got a huge reaction from the crowd. It seemed like they were implying that Wardlow was, you know, done, you know, taking orders from MJF. Uh, but mm-hmm. once uh, CM Punk, you know, throws MJF into the ring, and he puts on the dynamite diamond ring, which we later on find out that Wardlow actually like passed to him 
um, behind his back while he was on the ground. Um, and he ends up clobbering CM Punk and picking up the win. Uh, the Chicago crowd was shocked. Um, this is a huge victory for MJF. I mean, what a better way to build up MJF as your top heel, you know, in AEW than having him be the first person to defeat, you know, CM Punk in AEW. Um, and then, you know, to have him do it in Chicago on top of that, um, I could definitely see, you know, MJF being the world champion sooner than later. I think he'll probably be the guy to defeat, you know, Hangman Page, you know, for that title. So, and I, I definitely see that happening this year. So, I mean, Punk's going to be fine taking the loss. Uh, I'm not sure if they're going to continue the feud here. Um, and we know that AEW is not big on rematches, but we'll just have to wait and see, I guess. Uh, honestly, and this is fantasy booking, but I would love to see, like, John Moxley and Brian Danielson uh, join up with CM Punk. And like have this like uh-huh. <laughs> you know group of heels who are like pro WWE guys. I think that would be fantastic. Um, totally not going to happen. And you know it's just me dreaming out loud. But my God, could you imagine that heel faction running like rough shot over AEW? We're going to call him Sword. Oh God, that's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway. I know that they're not big on, um, you know, rematches, but I could totally see them picking this back up at least in like a month or two if they wanted to do something again or after the next big pay-per-view event, whatever they want to do with uh, Wardlow going, you know, getting closer to fighting um, MJF too, because I know that's definitely going to happen before MJF goes for that world title opportunity. So you got to think that Wardlow is probably the next major program for MJF. You know, if this mm. whole punk storyline is over with. Um, and we know that they already set it up where there's going to be some sort of confrontation between the two. Uh, if Wardlow ends up, you know, winning the whole, what's it called? The revolution, the face of the revolution ladder match or whatever they do. Ladder match, Because that's yeah. coming up in March, right? So mm-hmm. he wins that, then he challenges for the uh, TNT belt, right? So if he does win that, then he's supposed to hand it over to MJF. So maybe that's what happens. Maybe, you know, he does end up winning that belt from Sammy, uh, which I feel like it's too short of a title run for Sammy. So I kind of hope this doesn't Mm. happen, (laughs) especially since Sammy just got the belt back. Uh, But, you know, and then MJF demands the belt and that's when he turns um, and that starts off the program. So, yeah, I don't think Wardlow will challenge for it right away or they'll at least push off or give some excuse for why that's not happening. Maybe the pinnacle will get into a big feud with another faction because there's so many of them right now. Uh, But, yeah, I I feel like Sammy still needs to get at least one title defense before he loses it. Right. Oh, I'm sure he's going to have like plenty of title defenses because they're pretty good with that like TNT title, like making sure it's defended at least a couple times a month. So, I mean, he'll have a handful of defenses, you know, by the time Wardlow challenges him for the belt, if that's actually what happens here. Um, But Mm. at the same time, I'd like to see him have an extended run with it, you know, since his first run was cut so short. But once again, that's only if this scenario ends up coming true and Wardlow ends up challenging, you know, Sammy for that title. Exactly. I mean, wrestling doesn't have to follow like typical storytelling rules where if they bring up something, it has to happen. You know, because that's the main reason I've been following this is just because I think 
because they brought up that the fact that it's in his contract that he has to give up his titles, that they'll make that a moment. But it could just very much be, um, you know, MJF putting way too much pressure on him to win the uh, ladder match. He loses, you know, flips on MJF. You know, that could be the entire oh, story right there. Absolutely. By the way, that's going to do it for now. Join us next week as we talk all the latest happenings in wrestling. Well, that does it for this week. That's right, and as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some Amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? Well, besides all your latest nerd culture news, we'll also be breaking down the finale of The Book of Boba Fett. Also, you know, it's WrestleMania season, so we'll see if WWE picks up at all. I was like, what? I mean, we're not talking WWE unless Vince ends up firing Stephanie also. So (laughs) (laughs) don't lie to these people, Christian. At this point, both Triple H, Stephanie, and maybe even Shane McMahon will end up in AEW. (laughs) I hope. Anyway, my name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Dirt Show. Take a seat, young Skywalker.